So um, here's uh, Eve and the topic for this evening, probably you saw this if, you're, if you came here, is uh, we're going to explore uh, death and, and dying uh, together. Sylvia and I are both um, having it in our consciousness these days since we're both um, going through that process with people that we love and care about. So um, Eve, why don't you start us off with a, with a song? Thank you, James. Um, welcome everybody. Um, before I sing, I, I just wanted to say, James mentioned that we're gonna get a new website soon, which is really wonderful. And we want it, the whole reason that this, we started this process is that we wanna make it more supportive of and and inclusive of community and so mentioning that i want to invite you if you have photographs of either this particular community or the community as you envision it or photographs that you think would be neat on on the insight berkeley community website send them to us at the no email is Berkeley Insight One. Oh, there it is. Insight Berkeley One. Insight Berkeley One mm -hmm. at gmail.com. Yeah. So invite community photographs. So thanks for that. And um, this topic of death and dying that Sylvia and James will be talking about, I thought of this song by Carrie Newcomer called The Gathering of Spirits. Uh, there's so much that's a mystery to us, but we all can sense at one time or another um, how how thin the veil is and how interconnected we are and how little we understand and that love is eternal and timeless. <clears throat> Let it go, my love, my truest. Let it sail on silver wings. Life's a twinkling, that's for certain. But it's such a fine thing. There's a gathering of spirits. There's a festival of friends. And we'll take up where we left off when we all meet again. Can't explain it. I couldn't if I tried. How the only things we carry are the things we hold inside, like a day in the open, like the love we won't forget, like the laughter that we started and it hasn't died down yet. Let it go, my love, my truest. Let it sail on silver wings Life's a twinkling, that's for certain But it's such a fine thing There's a gathering of spirits There's a festival of friends And we'll take up where we left off When we all meet again Oh yeah, now didn't we? Don't we make it shine? Aren't we standing in the center of something rare and fine, some glow like embers? 
like a light through colored glass. Some give it all in one great flame, throwing kisses as they pass. Let it go, my love, my truest. Let it sail on silver wings. Life's a twinkling, that's for certain. But it's such a fine thing. There's a gathering of spirits. There's a festival of friends. And we'll take up where we left off when we all meet again. Just east of Eden. But there's heaven in our midst. And we're never really all that far from those we love and miss. Wade out in the water. There's a glory all around And the wisest say there's a thousand ways To kneel and kiss the ground Let it go, my love, my truest Let it sail on silver wings Life's a twinkling, that's for certain But it's such a fine thing There's a gathering of spirits There's a festival of friends and we'll take up where we left off when we all meet again. Thanks so much, Eve. Beautiful. So um, for those, I doubt if there's anybody that doesn't know Sylvia, but just uh, anyway, I want to introduce Sylvia Borstein, one of my um, longest uh, term friends and Dharma friends, um, and uh, has been there since the beginning, uh, even before Spirit Rock. Uh, and uh, it's just wonderful to have you and you've, you've touched so many people with your writing and your teaching. Um, and uh, it's just a real uh, delight to have you and, and share the evening with you. Uh, <clears throat> and what we're going to do, as I said, uh, was I thought it would be good to explore death and dying. Um, Sylvia uh, just recently lost her beloved partner of 60 plus years, 60, however many it is, uh, Seymour Borstein, uh, another good friend. And uh, this is just two months ago. Uh, so, um, and was uh, fortunate to, uh, to be with Sylvia during that process and, and hear how she was practicing with it. And, um, and I wanted to hear a bit about how the Dharma has helped her or has held her and informed her in that process. And I also uh, am going through that uh, process with a dear friend, one of my closest friends in the, in the world, uh, my dear friend, Stephen, who goes back to 1975. Uh, and I've laughed more with Stephen than, um, than anybody in my life. Uh, and he just found out just in the last week or two, quite by surprise that 
as he was not feeling well and uh, went in for a, a checkup to see what was going on, that his body is filled with cancer and uh, he doesn't have uh, much time. Um, and he's been practicing for decades and decades uh, and he has, he's ready to go and we're just going to we're just going to do it right. I'm going to go down there and visit him in LA in a, uh, in a few weeks and be there with him. And, um, and so it's been very much on my mind. And I thought that maybe we could have a conversation um, together and then open it up for all of us. So Sylvia, why don't you unmute yourself? And um, one thing maybe to, to kick us off as, as I've, I've said, and then you can just uh, go uh, riff as you will on um, how has your practice informed or helped you hold both the, the dying process that Seymour went through and that you accompanied him on and um, also the letting go, the, the grieving process, uh, which is a natural part of that all. Um, if you'd start off maybe saying whatever reflections come to mind. Well, first of all, I'm very happy to be here. <clears throat> Thank you for inviting me. And I've had the opportunity now to look around at who's here. And uh, so many of you I know from one place or another. And I say, oh, there's, there's Phyllis and there's Barbara and there's this one and that one. And I'm really happy. One of the benefits of uh, being on Zoom for this whole last year is you really get to have one after another, the hit in the heart of, oh, good, look, there's so-and-so, 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 and the delight that comes from that. So I'm glad to see all of you, those that I know, oh, there's so-and-so, and those that I don't know, I'm glad you're here. And Reba, I just noticed Reba there. So all the people I know and all the people I don't know. <laughs> and I, of course, was reflecting on what I wanted to talk about um, tonight. And uh, I thought I would put it, to begin with, and then James and I can go back and forth on this, and especially the que the question of how has the Dharma been involved. Uh, I think that the fact that Seymour was dying for, he we knew 16, 18, 16 months ago, 18 months ago, that he suddenly, in the best of health, uh, developed, didn't feel well, and found out that he had stage four not small cell non-smokers lung cancer, which people get. It's a, a genetic thing that some people get, uh, not from any way that they lived and not from smoking anything, but, uh, but the stage four meant that it was already out of its primary place and out of the lungs, so it was inoperable. So in essence, we knew for 18 months that this, unless something else intervened, that he would die of this. And for six months, there were drugs that he could take that um, were the newest thing, which uh, did retard the growth of the tumor for a little bit. And, and so he looked the same as usual and he felt all right. He took this one little pill every day. And he said, every day I say a prayer to the pill before I take it. And I said, what's your prayer that you say every morning? He said, I look at it and I say, go pill. That's my prayer. So, <laughs> and for six months it worked and then it didn't, which we also knew was going to happen at some point. 
when he died, it was just after his uh, 89th birthday. So he really had a long life. And the end of the story is, and at the end of his life, he said, I've had a long and wonderful life. I'm a very happy person. I did, I, 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 I have a wonderful family that I love. No calamities ever happened to my immediate family. I've had the same girlfriend for 70 years. That's a long time. Three years of that, we weren't married. And then the rest of the time, we were married. That's an impossible long time to be with people. People used to tease us and say, when you die, you're going to get stuffed and put in the Smithsonian as a rare and now extinct breed of people. So we lived a long life together, and we had a nice time together. We had a fun time. We, we, we played a lot, and we raised four children and coincidental with his dying, as he, as the life was in the last year, visibly every day ebbing out of him from where he could walk around in the beginning and felt pretty much all right and to finally he could walk around less and finally less and less. And finally in the last week was unable to get out of his bed the, the energy and the life force was going out of him. And we had the great good fortune of, at the same time, our eldest grandson, now in his 30s, with his wife, were expecting their first baby. So we were getting ready for a great grandchild. And as the life was going out of him, the life was coming in to Colin's wife's womb and growing and as the life was going on for him here was this new life getting ready to get born and i remember thinking uh, you know everything arises passes away and that which was the the penultimate statement of the buddha before he died like this is the really the important thing that you should know everything is impermanent things arise and pass away and I thought this is really wonderful for us as he is passing away in his life that a new life in him, in our family is arising. And uh, of course, new life is always arising among in the world and people are every moment passing away, which was one of the profound moments. I'm skipping around and what I got some various notes, but and the night that he died, uh, he was here at home, died in his own bed as he wanted to. And I was sitting with him. I was sitting with his body in the bed and sitting nearby and watching him. And he had, the energy had so gone out of them that for the last week, he couldn't stand up anymore or get out of his bed. And, but he could until then. And then in the last day or two, he really couldn't lift his hands or respond very much. And in the last 24 hours, it seemed clear that he was gone and that his body was continuing to breathe and that his heart was continuing to beat. One of the things that we marveled about was that he seemed to be unable to die. He wanted to, and his body was certainly ready to, but he was an athlete all of his life and going to the gym until a year before he 
died and working out. So his body, his heart was in a good shape. So he was there on the bed and I was sitting near him and I was watching the small movements of the sheet over his body that reflected that his heart was still beating, but he wasn't there and he couldn't respond. Uh, and I sat there and I wanted so much for him to be finished with this turmoil. He wanted so much to be, but we were certainly waiting it out. Didn't seem to be suffering at that point, but it was very difficult to sit here and watch him, watch his body try to keep on beating. And all of a sudden, I had the feeling that at this very moment, all over the world, maybe across the street, maybe down the street, but around the corner, all over, all the way around the world, there were people in my particular situation, there were people in the last moments of their life, in the last moments of their heart beating, and there were people sitting with them who loved them, who were, of course, feeling sad by the passing of their person, but people like me who really wanted for his suffering, if he had any, to be over because it needed to be and his body was used up. But that those people who were in my position all over the world were sharing with me this really strange situation of being with someone that you've loved, someone whose body you've known so intimately for 70 years, and wanting it to stop, wanting it to finish, and having the just the, the 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 pain and the tension and the, I wanted really for him what on whatever level he might have had distress, for his distress to end, and all of a sudden I was feeling a connection. I wasn't alone in the in the world with a a dying person that I loved a lot. I was in the world with probably a million people at that moment, or two million people, or half of how many people at that very moment, sitting with someone that they love and wishing for them to be at ease and wishing for themselves to be at ease. And I felt accompanied and I felt held up and I felt not alone and I felt okay. And I thought, this is what it means. May all beings everywhere be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. Sometimes I've thought to myself, we say that sometimes at the end of a sitting, we ring the bell, ding, may all beings be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. When I think it's just a sweet thing to say, and we'll go out in the world now, may all beings be at ease. Okay, but it feels different. It felt different for me. And all of a sudden, I got it, what that means, really. May all beings, mourning and dying, be well now, and everybody in between. There was a way in which I felt extraordinarily connected to the whole world. So that was the end of the remarks that I was going to make. Mm -hmm. But I had a lot of remarks in between, but maybe we should let James talk a little bit. Let me see if it's something else that I want really to say before James says anything. Well, I, I would ask you some some uh, further questions uh, uh, if you want to, uh, if you're open to it as well. I am, but I want to tell you a cognate story for, to that because that it, it's um, equally meaningful to me. Great. Um, 
I have thought, by the way, over this whole time, that it was for me like a very long in intensive retreat because I really didn't go out. I, I was so quarantine careful because I did not want to bring home anything that could make him sicker in that moment. So I was really scrupulous. Nobody came by. I didn't go anyplace. We have a, a large personal family, so they took care of him with me. But but during during that time, he wanted very much to live long enough to see that grandbaby, great grandbaby get born. And he did. And the day that she was born, I was in San Francisco as she was in labor in the home that she shares with my grandson. She was there with a baby ready to come out. The midwife was there part of the time. Her mother was there. Uh, Colin's mother, my daughter, was there, and I was there. So here's this baby, her mother, her two grandmothers, and her one great-grandmother are all there together. And it was an enormous, I'll tell you first, the baby is great and fine and wonderful and beautiful. It was a very, very long and very, very painful labor. We were all taking care, time, turns ministering to her. And at one point I was in a, another room, I was in the next room and other people were taking care of her, but the sounds of her pain were tremendously painful to hear. She was really, really in an inordinate amount of pain. And I thought about, I, I thought about, I, I could say a prayer, but I, I realized that, I, you know, I know prayers to say, but, or I could make up one, but I so don't have a feeling of a personal um, being or whatever that I could pray to that would intervene personally. And that, that, that was a moment in which I suddenly had the insight that all over the world at that moment, there were women trying to push out babies at some degree of discomfort. And with them, see, I even get goose pimples as I'm telling you the story. With them, were their mothers and maybe their grandmothers and maybe the baby's great-grandmother, who knows, but that all over the world at that moment, there are women pushing out babies and people attending to them. And all of a sudden, I could say with such ardor, may all babies be safely born. May all the women at this moment pushing out babies be held in safety. May all those babies triumph and come out. And I, as I tell you now, I have the same feeling then that my body was lit up with rapture. And I thought, I really, really mean this. And I really, really felt my body relax into what I felt was a connection with all mothers everywhere pushing out babies. And then I thought that was the first intimation of may all beings everywhere be at ease in what they're doing. And the second one was Seymour's passing. Mm. And I thought, now I really get it about all beings. Now, James asked me mm. something. <laughs> Beautiful, yeah. And so it, it's, it's, uh, it leads into one thing I was curious um, if you'd share, that sense of connection that you were talking about, whether it's people being at the bedside of, of those leaving 
or those at the bedside of those coming. Uh, and that sense of connection really makes such a difference uh, that, that we're not alone. Um, and one thing that I was curious, and Jane and I were, were talking uh, about what to, uh, what to explore with you, after being with Seymour for 70 years, um, what an adjustment it must be that your partner of all of those years is no longer in the next room or, or by your side. And I, I was interested to hear anything you could share about your process of that letting go or, and, and grieving or um, um, mourning as a, you know, as a healthy process and, or just anything you can share about what it's, what it's like for you and how your practice is, uh, is supporting you. Anything that comes to mind around that. Well, in the moment that I realized, as I was looking at him and watching that sheet move, that he wasn't there anymore, that really the sheet stopped moving. And I went over and discovered, you know, I stepped over two steps to look closely to see that, in fact, the highest heart was not beating and there was no breath coming out of him. And I was alone in the room purposely. My whole family was upstairs, but you know, it was dinner time and I was just sitting with him. And in the, in the, in the moments after that, I went back upstairs and met my younger daughter who was right there. And I, I said, you know, he's gone. And she went down and came back and said, he is. And then another of my sons who's a physician went down. All that happened. And there was a period of time where I completely broke down. And I suppose, anyway, it was a good thing that Emmy was here. I think I was wailing, but it was, it was somebody else. You know, it wasn't me deciding now I'll wail. But anyway, I got in the bed, I put the, the covers over my head and I was doing whatever I was doing. And after a while, I don't know, not so, so long, that wave of giant emotion passed me. And then things just happened. Um, the, the, all of my family got to go in and touch him and talk to him and kiss him. And I called the people that you had to call. And, um, you know, Jews get so busy because they bury very soon after the person dies and you don't see them again once they go to the mortuary. And I thought it would be terrible to go to the, uh, go to a gravesite. And I was um, afraid that when I got there uh, and I saw the coffin being ready to be lowered into the ground, that that would be too horrible to, um, to bear that his body was in there. And I, I, I think that I spent, I had one day before the funeral and I spent a lot of time with my grandchildren 
saying to them, when you come to the funeral, in, in the COVID times, which this was, you couldn't, um, you couldn't have an open funeral with a lot of people. So only his immediate family could come, but his immediate family was 20 people. So they came and they stood distanced from each other. But I had talked to all my grandchildren before, and I had said over to each of them, one way or another, listen, when you come there, don't be weirded out by looking at a coffin and thinking that grandpa's in there because grandpa's not in there. Grandpa is, God knows where he is, is somewhere near in between Jupiter or Mars, but he was really eager to be out of that body and that body was all used up. And what we are doing now is we are uh, respectfully interring his leftovers in a place that we can have a marker and we'll come out here and have a picnic here someday. It'll be a holy spot and we'll sit here and tell stories about him. So that's not him. And I had told that at least seven different times on my grandchildren and, uh, and, and to myself each of those times. And in fact, it was a sunny midday and uh, Seymour was very interested in owls. He had a whole thought about owls and being wise and he had written a book about the wise owl. Anyway, when we got to the cemetery place, an owl was hooting up in a tree and everybody looked at each other and they said, you see, that's grandpa's owl that's here. I wanted to say one of the things we could talk about, James, is religious imagination. When Eve was singing about we'll meet on the other side in a great gathering, one of the things that I, I hope you and I explore is that in the time that Seymour was dying, we talked a lot about when you come on the other side, be sure to put in a good word for us. Do you know that that's a, a Yiddish expression? Anybody here is a Yiddish speaker? I can tell you. <laughs> but what you say to someone who's dying is, uh, and the comest of the of the Andrazat, Zaita get the betrim friends. It means when you get there on the other side, uh, be a good intercessionary on our behalf. So you have to believe that there's another side, and that there is such a thing that you could, you know, you could. Uh, somehow shimmy in right next to God and be an intercessionary for the person that you had left behind. And I knew that you said this to people who died. And I said it to my father as he was dying. My father was a first-class atheist and uh, he was a, a, a scientist. He didn't believe all that stuff. But in the end, uh, when he was dying, I held his hand when he couldn't say anything or do anything. But I said to him that expression, when you come on the other side, put in a good word for us. And he would squeeze my hand when I said that. Hmm. When he didn't hear me in English anymore, if I spoke Yiddish, he would squeeze my hand. And I said, you want to come on the other side, put in a good word. And the thing is, I don't believe that you can sidle in and put in a good word for anybody. But I love to say it to somebody because it means I love you and I expect that you love me and you could and you would if you could certainly put in a good word for me. That's what it means. It's an expression of I love you. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a, that's just an expression of I love you. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know where I was going with that, but, mm -hmm. but it wasn't bad to be there. I'm going to tell you one more thing because it's so sweet. 
I went the other day, I was in a sudden mood to go up to the gravesite. Mm-hmm. And I went with my daughter and her daughter, uh, not the very same per- person who gave birth, daughter and granddaughter. We went up there, we sat there, we said a few things. And subsequently, I said to one of my sons, uh, uh, we went up to see dad's grave yesterday. And he said, oh, I went two days ago to dad's grave. So he said, which one is dad's grave? Because a few people are buried there and they don't have markers yet, but you can see fresh soil. So I said, well, you know the marker that's a bench. I sat on the bench and I think it that dad is two people, a night's move away, two people buried and then one over is where dad is. He said, oh, fooey. I said, what? He said, I put my seeds in the wrong place. I put, I brought wildflower seeds and I thought he was the other way. So you're not supposed to plant seeds on the cemetery because they like to be in charge of the, 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 the decoration. And he said, but I took wildflower seeds and I missed, mixed them in in the dirt. On, but I did on the other side. I think I put the flowers on the wrong grave. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> Dad gets the intention. The flowers will be on the other guy's grave, but we'll all enjoy it there. And then I found out from my other daughter that she had been there the day before. People are going up there and sitting around Dad's grave just to sit there. And so the grave was all right, all of that. I miss him a lot. And people ask me, has he spoken to you from the other side? You know, I I feel like he's in this room. I don't feel like he's on any other side. Every once in a while, it strikes me. I saw a great movie the other night on the TV all by myself. And all of a sudden, I realized he wasn't sitting next to me and I couldn't touch his body and talk to him about the movie and he would have liked it. So all of a sudden, in that moment, I felt quite lonely. Mm-hmm. But usually, I don't feel lonely. I feel he's all around. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Thank you. You're just reminding me of when... Uh... When my dad died, uh, this was in 1984, and he was he was 66 when he died, and he also uh, he had cancer, and so there was time to say goodbye, uh, and there were a lot of tears before. He was a very special person in my life. I dedicate he's the first dedication in my book to Arnold Barras, who taught me how to love. So, and he was the kind of glue in our in our family and so it was it was quite a it, it was quite a big thing him him passing but i did have time to to say goodbye and and grieve and i and i cried a lot uh the the days and uh, and weeks before but it was almost like i did all of that grieving on the front end and when he went um, there was, I missed him, but he was out of his pain. But what happened to me and what has been so helpful ever since is, uh, instead of missing him, that he wasn't there, it was like he became integrated in my being and in my, uh, just kind of merging the best of him um, that that was how he could live 
live on, live through me, all the all the beautiful things that I got from mm -hmm. him. And um, and it's been a, a, a helpful way to understand and process that that being is not gone. Just like you say, he's here now. He's here in you. I, I, you know, I'm getting a, a, a hit of him as, as you're talking uh, of Seymour. And that the person can integrate within us. And what a beautiful way to live on that legacy that all of the qualities that have touched us about that person shine through us. So, I'll, I'll tell you a very yeah. a, a sort of a funny um, minor kind of a way in which Seymour, I, I have incorporated him into me. We, we live in the same house for 60 years. We are long hangers in, you know. <laughs> We've lived 60 years in this house. It's an old house. And in all the time that we lived here, he was uh, much more than I was scrupulous about um, uh, being uh, frugal about not leaving lights on in rooms. And it seemed to me that I'd be sitting in a room and he'd suddenly turn off the light. And I said, what? And he'd say, why do you have your desk light there? You don't need, you know, why, why waste electricity? You go around, you're leaving the, the lights on all over the house. And I would think, what's the matter with him? Can he relax a little bit? We don't have to live tense all the time. Plus, a frugal, I'm up to the last minute. We can manage a, an electricity bill. He died. I am walking around turning off all the lights all the time. I, <laughs> you know, and I'm even thinking to myself, on the other side, he's watching me turning off the lights. And he's being so proud of me that I finally got the message. That's how much black I gave him about relax. <laughs> so there he is living through you. That's right. <laughs> as, you, as you flick the switch. Um, yeah. yeah. W one thing I'll, I'll just say um, a word about about my uh, about Stephen passing, and you you knew Stephen, uh, you and he's still around. You know Stephen, and we were all in uh, in India together uh, visiting uh, Punjaji. Um, so, um, and as I said, we we've laughed a lot together uh, in our life. And I, the fact that he's done so much practice and that he's. He said, you know, I've lived a, a good life and this is my time and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, to go. He would just, uh, uh, it was suggested, oh, if you take some chemo, uh, you can, you can pro um, prolong it a bit. And he said, no, 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 I'm, I'm ready for hospice. He just decided that today. Um, and uh, I said, okay, I'm, I'm going down. Um, we're going to hang out at least for, for a week. And we can talk about life, we can talk about death, we can talk about our memories. And I plan to laugh a lot. We're, yeah. gonna, we're gonna fit it all in. And uh, that sounded good to him. And it, it makes such a difference if somehow the, the person is at peace with themselves and, and, and ready to to go, then you're, you're not feeling bad for them or for, or, you know, there, there's, there's more of a sense of this is natural. This is, this is part of 
part of the plan, part of the way of things. I think about the word that comes to my mind is I think for myself with the deaths that I've been at his and others before, it becomes so ordinary. When my father was dying, my father died in 1984. What what date in 1984 did your dad die? Yeah. What That's date cool. was it? Uh, it was September uh, 13th. So my, my dad was uh, June 19th. So he was setting up for your father to arrive. Anyway, <laughs> he was... Um, and he was he needed to be in a nursing home because of the care of his body the last couple of weeks of his life so instead of taking care of him at home i took care of this is my dad in a nursing home so one day we we're talking about he knows he's going to die and uh he said uh we're talking about are you afraid of dying he said no he said no i'm not afraid of being dead I'm just afraid of dying. I'm afraid in that moment, it'll be horrible. I said, I don't think it'll be horrible, Dad, because um, you probably will be in a, by that time, you'll be pretty much in a coma and then maybe they'll give you something to assist that. But I'm pretty sure you'll be asleep. So you won't know it when you die. He said, you think so? I said, yeah, I, I think so. I said, okay, turn on the ball game. That's <laughs> it. That was the whole thing. Of, you know, profound, you're going to be there while you pass, not going to know about it. Okay, turn on, okay. Oh, and, and the same thing happened with Seymour. Like 10 days before he died, he was sitting, He had we had a lounge chair in the room where his bed was. So when he was still able to get from the bed to the lounge chair, he was lounging. And 10 days before he died, he was like asleep all the day. Maybe he got up once or twice, go to the toilet, come back, sleeping the whole day. We thought, well, maybe this is it. He's just going to exit any minute now. And after the whole day, he suddenly wakes up and he looks at his watch and he says, it's a quarter to six. Turn on Rachel Maddow. So, <laughs> <laughs> here's this holy moment I think he's going to tra transit out of one world and into the next. Turn on Rachel. Uh, <laughs> and he's, got it. It. he's got his priorities straight. Yeah. Um, the last minute to, not to miss the last minute. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, when you were saying that it's just, uh, it, it just becomes natural. There's something, and the Buddha suggested this, uh, that I've taken to heart of really, um, practicing your dying. Mm -hmm. um, th there's one discourse the Buddha said, talks about the elephant's footprint uh, compared to all the other animals, the elephant's foot footprint is, uh, is so much larger and, and, uh, and more impactful. And he says in the same way, all the meditations, mindfulness meditations, the, the most profound meditation and contemplation is that of uh, your death. And in this discourse, uh, he says, how often do you think you should think about that? And the, 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 uh, the monks say, uh, oh, um, at least uh, every week. And he says, no, 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 no. And then some others say, well, uh, at least like three times a, a, a week. No, no, no. 
Then someone say, how about every day? No, no, no. How about every hour? No, no, no. He says, every breath. Yeah. This is this is how you should you should realize that in every moment your uh, your life can end, so that you wake up to this moment. But in in practicing, and I've done this many times. I I, I lead meditations where people go through their death, and I've who knows if it's going to be that way. But I have imagined and and rehearsed just that. Mm-hmm how present can I be if I am present for the end? And can I let go gracefully and into the mystery? Um, and so that's a practice that, that is really encouraged in this, uh, in this teaching. Yeah. And, and each time I, I hear those kinds of stories, I had a friend who died uh, 15 years ago, at least she wasn't, she wasn't old. She, but anyway, she died after a, a long battle with cancer. And I was visiting her. Um, uh, her wife was there with her, uh, as sitting at the, the other side of the bed. And she was looked asleep, but she looked really almost like in a coma. So quiet, hardly moving for a long period of time. And hours in fact and we wondered about maybe she's just going to slip away and uh suddenly she woke up and looked around and she said oh i'm still here so and judy and i both said yes you're here so we thought that you were maybe on the other side or on your way on the, the other side did you see anything special while you were there she said, no, I just had a really good sleep. And here I am back again. And then she died sometime later. Mm. But uh, uh, one of the things that, that this is doing for me is it's not seeming so cosmic. It's like a normal, like usually you get you go to sleep and you get up in the morning, you get go to sleep and you get up in the morning and then you don't. And other people are getting up in the morning and going to sleep and the world is every day circulating people. I, that was my biggest sense from being, we are just in the, in the cosmic arising and passing away. Um, there was once a cartoon that I had uh, pinned up. I'd probably gotten it out of the New Yorker. And the cartoon is of a room and the room has um, a uh, conveyor belt in the middle like a person gets on the and there's a a door on one end uh, one end and there's another door over here and people come in on this end there's babies coming in and they step onto the conveyor belt and you see the conveyor belt has a baby on four on all fours and then a chance standing up child and then a bigger child and then a bigger child and then an adult child and then a past the adult child and a smaller one and a bent over one and a bent over one and one with a cane and one walking out the door. And there was a big sign on the wall behind. There's no talk. There's no caption. There's just a big sign on the wall and it says no loitering. You, know? <laughs> you come in, you get on the conveyor belt and you get off at the end. 
And that's all. It's just like that. Your genes, maybe if you've propagated yourself, your genes go marching on. But it, they don't have to be my genes. If I if I teach something and somebody learns it and they tell it to somebody else after I'm dead, that's as good as my genes marching on. I think we have creating our afterlives all the time that we're alive. And, um, I don't know about coming back. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about coming back. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, who, who knows? But uh, uh, but it is a very mysterious thing, you know, when you say it's very common and natural. And yet, if you've been at the, the side of uh, somebody leaving, it's it can be so profound and mysterious yeah. of life somehow where does it go and that that opens us up to a whole other mm, inquiry into into the mystery mm. i like to think about that somebody said to me about somebody about being with somebody as they left into the mystery and i'm perfectly happy with that i don't have to know what happens it, it's mysterious um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, just uh, we're we're nearing the end, and I I, I thought of uh, just uh, opening up the chat box in a moment, uh, but just wanted to say um, that the Buddha, another one of the Buddha's uh, encouragements, is to every day the five remembrances that this body will grow old, this body will become sick, this body will die. Everyone and everything near and dear to us, we will be separated from. Mm-hmm. And we are the owners of our karma. Our happiness and unhappiness depends on our actions. And he says, reflect on this every day, not to bum yourself out, but just to, to know the truth and not be surprised by it. And also see how precious this is and to... Um, to really be there for the relationships in your life. So I think the important thing is that one about see how precious it is. So that all the talk about where everybody's dying and as soon as from the beginning, it's on the course to the dying is, is, is true, but that you could make every moment count until the last moment that that's the really important takeaway. Exactly. And that you could do something right now. And that's why I think the, the penultimate statement is transient are all conditioned things. Everything that arises passes away. But I love the translation of the last sentence, which is my rendition, which is from Andrew Olensky, is move into the future with confidence. Mm-hmm. That even would mean move into the afterlife. Even if you knew it was your last breath move into the future with confidence Mm -hmm. but because this minute if i'm alive and i'm gonna have another minute i could move into it with confidence and with enthusiasm and with compassion for everybody else Mm -hmm. who's making their way through this fraught life beautiful and and another word for confidence is trust so there there's an element of surrender and just trusting in the the natural unfolding of things. So I, I, I thought that maybe before, uh, before we go, um, just to uh, invite everyone to reflect on mm, how your practice can help you hold 
um, this process of, of death and dying, maybe with people that you know, or even your own death, or um, when it comes, as it will come for everyone. And just take a moment and, and uh, get in touch with what in your practice can support you in wisely going through this process. Um, and when you come in touch with your own wisdom and support, I just opened up the chat, can just uh, put, some, put some thoughts, what helps you in this issue so that it becomes a part of your, your Dharma practice. And if you like, you can, uh, we can just see the wisdom from, from the group. Um, if you feel like sharing, the four immeasurables, uh, that's loving kindness and compassion and sympathetic joy and equanimity, kindness, gentle, powerful optimism, being open to the mystery, having mercy on pain, acceptance and gratitude, listening, the Four Noble Truths, savoring the present moment, loving fully, how to deal with others' sorrow, kindness to self. I'm sure it will be okay, whatever happens. You can look for yourself for all of these wisdom, but we have the wisdom inside of us to, um, to be held and supported in this natural part of the process. So um, Sylvia, it is a joy to, uh, to have you here and maybe you'll come back and, uh, and visit us again and uh, give a, a Dharma talk uh, and um, you're, you're always welcome here. And uh, I love you, my dear friend. I love you too. And I see a lot of people here who I know and love and, uh, and now the people that I don't know you know, in a moment of expansive, it's all beings. It's always all beings. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. And and Eve usually uh, ends us uh, with a with a song uh, to to go out by, and then we can uh, uh, we can share our merit with with all. So Eve. Yeah. Well, thank you. That was really beautiful, James and Sylvia. So um, for all beings, we'll dedicate the merit. May every living being, our minds as one and radiant with light. Share the fruits of peace, with hearts of goodness, luminous and bright. If people hear and see how hands and hearts can find in giving unity, may our minds awake to great compassion, wisdom, and to joy. May kindness find reward.
May all who sorrow leave our grief and pain. May this boundless light meet the darkness of our sacred night. Because our hearts are one, this world of pain turns into paradise. May all become compassionate and wise. May all become Thank you, and thank you, Eve and, and Sylvia, and just uh, a moment to share all the goodness that comes from our being here together this evening and from our practice. May we hold it in a great ball of merit, as Joanna Macy says, and uh, collectively share it with all beings everywhere, human, non-human, and this planet that supports us so beautifully. May all know the deepest peace and happiness. May all be free of fear, May all share their love well. May our coming here be for the benefit of all.